This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. Hello, welcome to Conversations with the Present. I'm your host, Vivian Salmon. Recently, a tweet from a participant at a CBA event sparked a small but intense Twitter storm and exposed a generational divide in the approach to practicing law. The tweet quoted a judge who said that the way to get notice was to arrive early, stay late, and work hard. It seemed like wise advice from a senior lawyer to a more junior colleague. But to a younger generation, it sounded like bad advice emblematic of an out-of-day law firm culture that they wanted no part of. The need to rack up FaceTime and billable hours is often blamed for driving people, particularly women, out of firms and into solo practice or to in-house or government positions. But sometimes this approach drives lawyers out of the practice of law altogether. Today, I'm talking with two young lawyers who are blazing their own paths outside of big law. These two lawyers have founded their own firms and forged a new way to provide legal services. Erin Cowling started out on the traditional career path. After being called to the bar in 2005, she worked as a corporate litigator at Macmillan in Toronto, the same firm where she articled. Six years later, she started her own firm, Cowling Legal. And in 2015, she founded Flex Legal a network of experienced freelance litigators providing outsourced legal services. Kim Gale is an estate litigation lawyer. She wanted to be a barrister from an early age, but took a roundabout route to her JD. Like me, she started out working in communications and media. Then she worked in shipping and logistics and as an assistant to an estate litigator before going back to school for her law degree. After that, she hit the ground running. She was called to the bar in 2018, and in 2019, she opened Gale Law. She's also the author of the popular blog, Law for Millennials, and founder of a network of internationally trained lawyers. Welcome to the podcast, Erin and Kim. Thanks, Vivian, for having us. Really excited to be here. Erin, you stayed in big law for six years before heading out on your own. What was the impetus for starting Cowling Legal? It sort of came out of a necessity rather than me waking up one morning thinking I'm going to start my own business. Upon return from my second maternity leave, I found I was looking for a new job. And I sort of panicked because I was a seventh year associate without a book of business. So I accepted the first job that came my way. And that was in an estate litigation boutique. And previously I had worked as a corporate litigator and I felt like a bit of a fish out of water. And it was a very emotional practice with a lot of brothers and sisters fighting over their dead parents' money. And it just didn't sit with me right with my personality to practice that area of law. And I found it very difficult and I took home the emotion every day. And at the same time, I found I was uh, pregnant with my third child and I just, I didn't want to be in that job anymore. So I quit without another job lined up. But I didn't want to be just at home with my children. I missed the law and I wanted to be a lawyer. So I started picking up 
projects from other lawyers that I knew who needed help with either a factum or a statement of claim. So when I was at home, I was drafting blog posts, any kind of little bits of work that came in. And this was really going to be a stopgap measure until I went back to work for either a large firm or a small firm. And then I realized I really enjoyed doing my own thing and being my own boss. So I said, I'm going to give myself a year and see if I can make a practice out of being a freelance lawyer. So I put up a website, printed off some business cards, and I got really busy helping other lawyers with their overflow legal work. And in 2015, I started Flex Legal Network to assist me with all that extra work that was coming in. And so now I have, uh, we have 25 freelance lawyers with our, ne- our network doing uh, overflow legal work. That's amazing. So to me, it sounded like you took a very challenging situation and made it work for you strategically. Kim, you started your own law firm too. So what inspired you to do that so early in your legal career? Well, it's funny that Erin mentions the difficulty she had with the state litigation because that's actually the area of law that I practice, exclusively state litigation. And I really... I think I started my firm because I had two other entities that I began. One was a fun blog called Law for Millennials, which I started while I was an associate at another firm. And it was just because I found that everyone, including most of my friends who aren't lawyers, thought that law was really boring. And But they would ask me questions, and I would explain to them in a way, and they'd say, oh, that's that's interesting. I never thought about that. So I started a blog that was basic, free, easy-to-understand legal information based on issues millennials faced. And I had a lot of success in that. A lot of people seemed very responsive and they they really liked my blog. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. I have a bit of a following here. Then I started a group, um, which I was really more passionate about. It uh, called NCA Network, which is a young professional group to help students that went to law school outside of Canada because I went to law school in the UK. And when I returned to Canada, I found it was extremely difficult to have a network, to find jobs, to tell people that, you know, I'm willing to work hard and give me a chance. And we have now almost 500 members and we're going really strong and we appreciate all our partners and sponsors. And between the success between those two, I thought if I could get clients and start my own firm, that is what I would love to do because I am very entrepreneurial and I'd love to be my own boss. And I also was running out of time between Law for Millennials and NCA Network to bill the expected, you know, huge billing hours that a firm expects of you. And I thought, I really enjoy these things. I want time to dedicate to them. So speaking about the billable hour, you just mentioned that. How do you both feel about the billable hour? Maybe Erin will start with you. It's funny, in my, I think, third or fourth year of practice at, a, at the large law firm, we, all the women lawyers received a questionnaire about how to improve practice for women lawyers at that firm. And one of the things was, do you have any suggestions? And I said, get rid of the billable hour. And I was kind of received with a bit of a laugh because they thought I was joking. <laughs> but really, having become a mother, uh, I am the most efficient person out there. And the billable hour is actually to my detriment because I can get a really 
good statement of claim at the door quicker than someone who may not be as efficient as me. So, But I get penalized at the end of the day because I didn't bill the how many hours that other people might. Um, but the funny thing is, when I started freelancing in my own firm and, and company, I thought, you know what, I'm going to offer alternative fee, I'm going to offer flat rates, I'm going to offer everything but the billable hour. 99.9% of our clients want the billable hour because our clients are all other lawyers, and that's all they know. So I've only had one, one lawyer reach out and ask for a flat fee uh, because they had offered their client a fat, flat fee. But then with that being said, we do litigation, which I think is a lot harder to get away from the billable hour than like a real estate transaction or a corporate document might be a lot easier to deal with in a non-billable hour way. So Kim, let us, let's hear how you feel about the billable hour. I mean, it's, it's the easiest way to determine a billable hour comes from two veins. One is the employee and one's the employer. As in, from an employer perspective, and Aaron and I both have people that we employ, um, it's the easiest way to dictate what someone's spending their time in, how much, from a business standpoint, how much money they're bringing in. Um, from an employee perspective, it, it, you know, it has to be attainable. And I also recall sometimes I just wasn't getting enough work. And it's hard to re- meet your billable target if the people around you aren't giving you the chance to actually work. So you're kind of making work and doing non-billable work. And um, I think, I, I mean, I, I don't think that anything's going to change from the billable hours. I think uh, I we all bill per hour, and that's how we make money. Uh, I think it, that the problem... B- arises when the politics come into play, when certain people aren't given certain work, so they're not given the opportunity to bill, and kind of like the complications around just looking at someone's just billable hours and not anything else. I think until there's a pushback from the client end of things, billable hours not going away. And I haven't seen that pushback yet. There's still firms out there making money hand over fist with the billable hour model, even though we've been told for how many years now by, you know, the legal innovators out there that the billable hour is dead. It's still alive and kicking, I think. The heartbeat's there. (laughs) So let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit more outside of the billable hour, but about the business of law. Erin, where did you learn how to run a private practice? (laughs) Through trial and error and through necessity. I started my business just by printing off some business cards, doing my own website and getting out there and and hustling and then just reading as much as possible. I didn't have the money to um, go hire fancy business coaches and do anything extravagant with my marketing. I had to do it all um, on my own. And it was really, yeah, just day-to-day stuff, trying to figure out how to collect from the clients, how to market myself, how to get my brand out there. It was uh, really a lot of work and trial and error. So, Kim, how long did it take you to feel secure that you really knew what you were doing? I mean, does anyone ever really know what they're doing? <laughs> to be honest, um, I think I, I, the, for me, the reality was I felt very comfortable in my area of state litigation. And I've, I've, I chose to specialize for a reason because I know this area. I understand the 
sibling dispute. I understand the overarching process. It's a very niche area. So I can take a file and run with it from start to finish without to without kind of second guessing myself but there is definitely aspects the business aspect what is a whole other side to it you're running a, you're a lawyer and a business owner and an employer and you uh, are dealing with so many other aspects that take away from the lawyering and I really we're really just in a client facing industry we're no different than any other uh, we're no different than working at a store and facing clients every day. I mean, our job is to service our clients in the end and have happy clients. So that that requires a certain personality, and I always felt like I had the personality and the hustle. I also built my own website and networked and got out there. When I moved here in 2016, I didn't know anybody. I really tried to utilize social media same way as Aaron did um, and really lean on the support of the community. So you're both in Toronto, a city with a pretty large population. What would you say are the important considerations for someone looking to start a solo practice outside a major city? And so what are your biggest challenges to provide that advice to people? Um, I think if, if you were looking to start a solo practice outside of Toronto, you have to look at the needs of the community. There will always be a need for real estate and wills and uh there will be property disputes. There will be some type of civil litigation. So if you look at the community and what those, you may not need someone who's got a niche uh, area of like international relation law in small town Ontario. If, you're, if you have an interest in those areas of law, I think there's lots of opportunities um, in, in lots of different areas outside of Toronto. Uh, I think it's the same thing. You have to build a practice and build your brand and get out in the community, figure out where your clients are and market yourself and network. Why is there a need for firms like Flex Legal? I started Flex because before when I was working at a large firm, like a lot of lawyers, I felt like law was either an all or nothing game. We either had to work 100 hours a week or quit law altogether. And as a freelance lawyer and with Flex Legal, we offer a flexible practice of law. We can take on as many projects as you want or as little uh, as little work as you want. Our freelance lawyers do a variety of things. Some work full time. Some have kids with disabilities. So they're at sick kids a couple times a week. Some we've got a couple guys who are doing a tech startup, but they don't want to give up law completely. So they're taking on some projects here and there. And then on the flip side, for our clients, for sole practitioners or small firms who are a majority of our clients, sometimes they just get so overwhelmed with work, but they don't have the overhead or the resources to hire a full-time associate or bring on another partner. Then they can just reach out to us to fill in for a trial or help with some drafting, or even if they want to take a vacation, help with their work-life balance as well. So Kim, you don't have maybe the stress that comes with working for a big firm, but you do have a lot of stress, I think, and pressure just the same. Generating your own clients, managing a small business, and ensuring you get, number one, paid by your clients. So how do you do it and still have a life? Do I have a life? I mean, it's all... A- 
a lot of it is you have to protect yourself as a lawyer. You have to make, you have to be very forward with your clients. I, I when I do my initial, I do a twenty minute free consultation. I set out the terms of the phone call before it even starts. I get their full their full name, their contact information. I tell them that this is a twenty minute phone call. They won't be charged for it. Any time after will be charged. I tell them my um, I listen to you know what it is that they have to say. Sometimes it's not an area I practice. Um, sometimes it is and. If, if it sounds like it's, you know, a good fit for something that I would do and it fits the parameters, I tell them exactly what my fees are. I tell them what the retainer is. Uh, I make sure to, you know, receive my retainer in a certified check. Or if it is a regular check, I wait the 10 business days for it to clear. Um, I send my invoices every month. I follow up. I am just, I'm very diligent in that aspect uh, because, um, you know, I don't think anyone should work for free. And as a lawyer, we're taking on a lot of liability. And if, uh, you know, if we're not getting paid, then I could just stay home and sleep in that morning. So I, I, I think the business aspect could not, should not be overlooked. And I get a lot of lawyers who ask me, uh, about running a business and being entrepreneurial, but they're, they don't want to discuss money or there's certain aspects of their personality that they, that it makes them feel uncomfortable, then, you know, maybe I would recommend that um, they would go in business with somebody else who has the more business sense or they may want to rethink it because you're doing every aspect of your business. What are some of the day-to-day obstacles of running your own firm? Well, I would say every day is different. I that's why I love being a lawyer and most lawyers like this job because no day is the same. So one day you can be in court, another day you can just be drafting, another day you're on the phone, something blows up. But general obstacles, I mean, last week or 2 weeks ago my system just crashed and then I had to hire an IT person and get that person in and redo my entire system. So, uh, you know, an assistant is sick one day and you really relied on them to come in. Probably similar issues to what anybody faces in any business. The buck stops with you, I find. Like you can't, you can't throw the crap up the because there's no one above you to blame right it it stops with you so anything that goes wrong it's your problem um that's my major kind of I agree that would be my that that's always a stumbling block I'm the one who has to be the uh, HR I'm the IT I am the one on the phone I we all have new assistants and people to help us but in the end um, they come to me for the answers and I do my best to you know address any problems that come up so Kim as you know this podcast goes across the country is there anything you'd like to tell other lawyers that are listening that we might not have touched on what is what is one piece of advice that you have So my advice would be to know yourself uh, and assess the situation at hand. If you're extremely unhappy where you're working or or circumstances in your life lead you to the point where you don't have a work-life balance and, you you know, you're miserable, then don't – I know some people feel as though it – it's big firm or no firm. There's so many, so many options out there where you can still practice law and have a fulfilling career. So I would definitely say to kind of 
deep within your soul, as cheesy as that sounds, and figure out what kind of works for you. And if it's not law, that's fine. There's so many other positions and jobs available for someone with a law degree and with a legal experience and legal background. But if it is law and it's something that you enjoy, you know, is it that is it the practice area? Is it working at a big firm? Would a smaller firm suit you better? Some people go from smaller firm to big firm because they like the structure. I mean, big firm is good for certain personalities and small firm is better for others. And some people have have the entrepreneurship and the ability to go out on their own and then hustle. And for you, Erin, is there anything that you'd like to add or one piece of advice you'd like to give other senior lawyers and younger lawyers across the country? I'm a bit biased, but uh, I really love being... um, my own boss and having my own business. And I didn't think I was an entrepreneurial person when I was at a large law firm. I, I liked having the paycheck every two weeks and the security, but then, you know, life happens and you realize you can do this on your own, but you do need to have a little bit of a business sense. I know some lawyers who have started their own practice And they hated the business side. They hated going out and getting clients. They hated doing the accounting or looking over. They just wanted to be lawyers. They just wanted to put their head down and do the law. Being a sole practitioner might not be the perfect job for you. But if you do, I love, I have a 50-50%, like 50% of my practice is running flex and being an entrepreneur and 50% is actually doing the law. And I love that balance because I get to flex both sides of my brain. So I think along the lines of what Kim was saying, you really have to know yourself and whether you think you can be a business person as well as a lawyer. So Erin, maybe we'll end with you. What can the Canadian Bar Association do to help people who want to hang out their own shingle like you? I think mentorship helps a lot. And I know there are mentors available to help um, with questions uh, available for people who want to start their own business as a lawyer. I get so excited when I have coffees with young women who are at large firms are like, I really want to start my own practice, but I'm nervous. And I'm like, let me help you because you will not regret being your own boss and taking back the power of what you're doing as a lawyer. Instead of lining the pockets of other people, you can take this and decide how you want to practice law and how you want to make a difference in the legal profession. So mentorship would be very helpful. Um, And, you know, other resources like articles that I know the CBA provides um, and just having someone to reach out to with questions. Young lawyers like Aaron Cowling and Kim Gale are increasingly rejecting the traditional law firm and forging their own path with the risk and rewards that brings. We want to hear your stories about the changes you've seen in the legal profession or think the profession needs to make. Where do you see generational conflict and how do you suggest we overcome it? Let us know on Twitter at CBA underscore news, on Facebook and on Instagram at at Canadian Bar Association. You can hear this podcast and others on our CBA channel, The Every Lawyer, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to receive notification for new episodes and to hear us in French, listen to our Juris Branche podcasts.